The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Tom Davenport, who is Distinguished Professor at Babson College and Fellow of the MIT Initiative on the Digital Economy and Senior Advisor to Deloitte's Analytics and AI Practice. Hello, Tom. Welcome to our podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Welcome, Tom, and thanks for joining us today. So we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and what you're currently doing. Sure. So I've been a professor, consultant, writer, researcher for longer than I care to admit on a variety of topics, but over the last 20 years, mostly analytics and big data and a lot of work in the sort of business benefits of analytics, wrote a book with a couple of versions called Competing on Analytics, and then, like everybody else, started to get more interested in AI again. I'd done some work in the past in it that related to kind of automated decision-making and so on. But when spring came again, I jumped back in and I wrote a book a couple of years ago with Julia Kirby called Only Humans Need Apply, Winners and Losers in the Age of Smart Machines, and just finished a book with MIT Press, although it won't be out until October, called The AI Advantage, which is about kind of enterprise use of AI and all the issues related to that. Great. Great. Definitely sounds like you've been very involved with AI and all of its initiatives. As you know, it's gone through winters and thawing, and now we're heading into what looks like summer for sure. So that's really interesting. And, you know, as we constantly talk about, and one of the things that Kathleen mentions in our calls and one of the things that we have on our site as Cognolytica is one of our focus areas is augmented intelligence. So you talk about this as well and how people should really change their mindset when discussing artificial intelligence augmenting rather than automating. So can you tell us more about your perspective on that? Sure. And, you know, I have to admit that evolved. When I started thinking about writing the book that I wrote a couple of years ago, I thought for a while about calling it No Humans Need Apply, which there actually is an example of, because I had the same concerns that everybody else did about losses of jobs and so on. But I interviewed a lot of people for that book who were already doing augmentation, and it seemed to be going pretty well for them. And I saw lots of evidence that in the past, these kinds of automation changes, one, were very slow to take place. One of my favorite statistics is that we have roughly the same number of bank tellers in the U.S. that we had in 1980, even despite lots of ATMs and internet banking and all those things. So that kind of change takes place slowly. And the evidence is pretty clear that at least in pathways of automation-oriented technologies, if you you were willing to learn some new stuff, you were fine. You know, in automating textile mills, if you would learn something about how these machines could be you know, configured, improved, maintained, etc., there were many, many jobs for people like that. So 
I mean, I do think that there are still some concerns and reasons not to be complacent, you know, just reassuring ourselves that jobs won't go away and there'll be plenty available for everybody. I'm not sure that's true. But I think the vast majority of situations, there will be people working alongside smart machines. In some cases, they'll take the lead. In some cases, we'll take the lead and they'll just sort of help us. And as long as we're willing to learn how to work effectively alongside them, I think will be fine, and but I suspect there will be some people who aren't willing to do that, and it'll probably not be so good for them. Yeah. Well, you know, this is really interesting because we have a lot to say on this ourselves. I mean, we actually wrote recently our own newsletter about how AI will or won't impact jobs, and it's kind of interesting, especially if you look at waves of technological innovation in the past. It always seems scary when you're heading into a new wave. You know, computers displaced whole rooms full of secretaries and typewriters and filing cabinets and scheduling people, but there wasn't a massive wave of unemployment. Obviously, because the opportunities created by the use of computers and businesses outweighed all those those other issues. And so we were able to make that transition. We've been thinking about what that means in the case of intelligent systems that are much more cognitive. And when we talk about augmented, the way that we like to think about it is that the purpose of an augmented intelligence system is to help a human be better at their task, be more efficient, be more effective, be more sort of superhuman. So I guess I want to ask if you've been thinking about that, you know, in terms of what ways do you foresee AI technology really helping us be better at the things that we're doing, unless you maybe define it differently, which is perfectly fine as well. Well, I probably would define it somewhat differently because I think in some cases, your definition will be correct. I mean, take, for example, the surgical robots that are becoming more and more popular in the surgery business. Those are definitely designed to make surgeons better at their tasks of surgery. And the surgeon still plays the dominant role. And, you know, you mentioned the superpowers line, and that's one that is often used in that particular context. They say, you know, a surgical robot gives the surgeon superpowers and better vision and better ability to, you know, cut straight lines and so on. So I think sometimes that will be true, but I think in other times it will be our job to make the machine work better. And that, to me, is another example of augmentation. I think sometimes it'll be 20-80 in favor of us, and sometimes it'll be 80-20 in favor of us. But I do think, in general, there will be an awful lot of people and machines working together. But I would just say it won't at all times be people developing machines just to make humans more effective. It might be nice if that were true, but I just don't think it's going to be the case. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So we all know that artificial intelligence requires good, clean data in order to work properly. So can you talk to us about where you believe the role of the data scientist is at corporations with big data? Uh, sure. I wrote an article about this a number of years ago, too, with the person who ended up being our chief data scientist of the United States of America, DJ Patil, and it was called Data Scientist, Sexiest Job of the 21st Century. Nobody remembers the mm. main title, but they do remember the subtitle often. And a lot of what those people did, I interviewed a bunch of data scientists at the time. This is, I don't know, four or five years ago. And what they were mostly doing was working with data. There wasn't a huge amount of analytics activity taking place. It was, you know, cleaning data, transforming data, finding the right data to start with. But yes, that is a really big issue for certain types of AI. Almost all types of machine learning need a fair amount of data. 
And I think data scientists will be, I mean, you know, we don't really have any title yet for people who work specifically with AI. Data scientists came around initially, as you suggested, to work with big data and to some degree analytics on big data, but it was more conventional analytics, not a whole lot of AI. I think a lot of data scientists are already making the shift into working with AI and getting data ready for AI and um, learning AI tools and methods, but not all of them are. So I don't, it's an imprecise term to start with, and it's particularly imprecise, I think, with regard to AI. So, you know, I kind of wish we had a term. And the fact that there's so many different types of AI might make it difficult to have one term for people who are really good at using it. You know, we used to have in one of the previous generations, we had um, knowledge engineers who would sort of suck knowledge out of experts' heads and put it into rules. And in fact, there's still, I was surprised to see in a recent survey that I did with Deloitte, still half the organizations we surveyed were still using rule-based systems. So, you know, maybe knowledge engineer should never have gone away, but certainly data scientists are going to play an important role. Yeah, and it's interesting because when we've talked to a lot of people, I think that the role of a data scientist isn't well-defined, even within an organization and then definitely across organizations. And a data scientist versus a data engineer, and now we've heard this new position called a machine learning engineer. So I'd be interested to see, you know, how do you define a data scientist? Well, pre-AI, the focus was kind of half someone who was kind of able to address the computational aspects of big data to, you know, use all of these new tools at the time around Hadoop and Pig and Hive and Bark and Python and so on. And then also was able to analyze it to a substantial degree so that, you know, they had some statistical expertise as well. And, you know, there were other traits that came in handy, like being able to communicate and work well with carbon-based life forms and so on. But as I say, now I don't think that there is a clear term for it. And um, you're right, it's not well-defined either. There, there's some organizations I think have done a good job and said, okay, well, henceforth, data scientists will mean someone who has these traits and quantitative analysts will be somebody who has these traits, but you know, not all the same ones that data scientists has. But you know, perhaps I inadvertently contributed to the problem by calling it the sexiest job of the 21st century. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in that category? Right. So... <laughs> A lot of people probably put it on their resumes and business cards on their LinkedIn pages just because it was a cool thing to do. As I, frankly, I wanted to do in the old days with Knowledge Engineer, I left it after that title, even though I wasn't really qualified. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we've had this conversation that whenever you have a term that's not very well defined by industry and, you know, you're being called on to do some research on it, it could be particularly challenging. And, you know, we've thrown about the idea that, you know, a data scientist is effectively trying to work the magic of science around data, which is around, you know, testing theories and hypotheses and gathering information and really trying to understand what's happening with data and information and its value to the enterprise and to whatever the application is. And you know, I always think of engineer as an engineering role, which is responsible for making sure that things move from point to point and systems are built to help whatever the scientist comes up with scale. So 
But, you know, that's once again our take, and that may not necessarily be what the rest of the industry may think about it, but, you know, that's always a change. Yeah, unfortunately, God did not see fit to provide us with clear definitions of things. And once the humans take over, things really start to evolve in all sorts of strange ways. So, yeah, I think that cow is out of the barn in terms of being able to pin it down about, you know, what it really means. Yeah. So, you know, data is really, you know, we've been hearing now, everybody's saying data is the new oil, data is the new, you know, master commodity. And it's interesting how much data is really making its way into our everyday news. You know, for, on the everyday person who may not have ever thought about data, obviously we have what's going on with Facebook and other, you know, online, you know, social media sites and what's happening there with people's concerns about data. And then you have new data regulations and rules. EU is doing with their general data protection regulation, their GDPR, and you know other rules and regulations here in the states. Of course, we've had lots of cybersecurity-related data issues. You know, with Equifax, their social security number, I guarantee now is in every database that's imaginable. So now people are really thinking about data, and of course, you know, we need data to make AI work. So, you know, what do you think about all of this data being in the in the knowledge and just what's happening in the environment? How do you think it's going to impact AI? Where do you think is the you know people's individual relationship? to data is going to be just kind of curious to hear your feedback on that. Well, there's, you know, what I think should happen and what will really happen. I mean, I guess it's a good thing that people are talking about it now, but it was rather discouraging to see these senators grilling the Facebook guy and saying, yeah, and saying, well, if you don't charge for the use of Facebook, then how do you make money? Right. <laughs> Rather discouraging lack of familiarity with the Facebook business model and social media in general. And so I don't really look, I don't think there are very many people in the United States who would look to the U.S. Congress to draft intelligent legislation about these kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. And they certainly did not do much of anything with regard to the you know, big Equifax breaches and any other breaches that have happened. So I would like um, to see much more individual control of your own data. I don't see that happening much in the U.S. I think Europe has been much smarter about it than we have with the GDPR regulations. And I, you know, I wish we had something similar. Zuckerberg said maybe they would do that for Facebook, but my guess is most of the senators weren't even that familiar with the GDPR work. As to its effect on AI, it might slow down some aspects of AI, notably, you know, machine learning for ad targeting, which is really what a lot of the Facebook data was being used for. And I think it'll probably lead to limits on the ability of third parties to do that, you know, to gather data and to come up with their own targeting algorithms. I doubt it will restrict, you know, Google and Facebook and so on in their own use much. And that is a big issue. Somebody was talking yesterday with somebody about AI in China, and China has certain mm-hmm. advantages over us with regard to data. One, they have a lot more people, so, and most of them are using a lot of online applications and, and devices, and so they're generating massive amounts of data. So, you know, maybe gives them a leg up in terms of the ability to develop certain forms of AI for it, and they don't seem to be too concerned about, you know, individual rights with regard to data. It's sort of, you know, obviously the state is much more influential in that regard. So assuming they use the data, you know, they're already gathering tons of uh, facial images. It, they probably will become the best in the world at using deep learning for 
for image recognition, at least facial recognition for that kind of purpose. So it's an interesting question of where it will all go. I think it's a good thing that we're finally talking about it as a society, although as a country, but I'm not particularly sanguine about what's going to come out of it. Right. Yeah, especially since you're right. I mean, technology doesn't see any boundaries. So rules and regulations are a human activity. <laughs> and, you know, right. any intelligent system would be like, I'm not quite sure I understand why there's such inconsistency with you funny humans. You know, so just quickly on the laws and regulations, and you're right, I think a lot of people are looking at Congress's interaction with Mark Zuckerberg and saying, wow, this is a lawmaking body that doesn't really understand what the state of technology is today. And I think with regards to data, yeah, we may not see much in the way of profound and usable regulation here. But one of the things that is coming up is around autonomous vehicles, you know, bringing it back to AI. And there's no doubt that there's going to be some regulation, whether at the state or federal level, especially now that we're starting to see higher profile, you know, accidents and, and other issues. And this is an area where, you know, if we're not careful, we could obviously put in regulatory stumbling blocks that either put you know, the United States at a disadvantage, maybe when other countries are not willing to put in the same roadblocks, or just in general, maybe just does make the industry less safe. So now we have folks that don't understand how Facebook works, and we have things that are much more complicated in the face of autonomous vehicles. Have you thought about sort of like, you know, what is sort of the role of regulation here and how, you know, do you think it would be useful for, for governmental agencies to step in, or should we let this be sort of the Wild West and kind of, you know, let things sort out as they would? No, I think actually some smart national regulation about, you know, what to do, particularly during this sort of awkward period where pretty good at autonomous vehicles, but not good enough to turn them loose without, you know, having accidents and so on as, as the Tesla, um, recent Tesla problems and recent Uber right. fatality illustrate. I think some national regulation would be good and would maybe help to prevent some more accidents like that during this difficult period that would probably, you know, lead to some overreactions. I mean, I'm not at all surprised that there would be these fatalities. You know, they've been going on now for a couple of years, at least in Tesla's case. And I think it would be bad for the industry if, you know, you had a dribble of these things happening so that the autonomous vehicles were banned or people refused to buy them. Even now, the you look at surveys, a number of people say they're afraid of them and wouldn't buy them. So I think some intelligent regulation, again, I'm not sure who would craft it at the national level would be good for us, not a, not a bad thing, but I don't see it coming. Yeah, I recently saw an article headline and it was saying, is this autonomous vehicle, you know, recent issues going to cause the next AI winter? So hoping not. But yeah, and we had touched upon this before too, where laws and regulations do help, but it gets tricky because, especially with autonomous vehicles, where do you draw the line? Because states regulate certain things and then the federal government regulates certain things. So would the federal government have to come in and, you know, take over some of the things that are traditionally state regulated, for example? Yeah, well, you know, we already we have, you know, National Highway Transportation Safety Board and so on. So I think they could probably do something in this area if they wanted to. Some states, you know, might not necessarily go along with it, but the majority tend to. So I don't know. I think without some regulation, I think we'll get into a, a fair amount of trouble. And I always thought this is going to be a slow process and and to 
the more I talk at MIT, there are a lot of really smart people in autonomous vehicle development, and they're all pretty conservative about how quickly this is going to happen. They say, you know, 15, 20 years before the majority of vehicles are autonomous. It's the Elon Musk's of the world who say, yeah, we're going to have this within a year or two. Don't think that's realistic. Yeah, I, I know. I think it's a lot harder problem to solve than people realize. But sometimes people put it out there to keep it in the news. So mm-hmm. maybe that's partially Elon Musk's yeah, play as exactly. well. So, and it's He's definitely been in the that. news a lot lately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as a final note, what do you believe the future of artificial intelligence is in general and its applications to corporations and beyond? Well, I'm very bullish, and I'm mostly bullish because I talk to a ton of um, executives, both individually and in surveys, and they're the ones who know much are quite bullish. But I think that it's a lot of, you know, relatively prosaic, low-hanging fruit that's going to really be the dominant class of applications. And, you know, even places like Amazon say that. I think Bezos said in his 2017 letter to shareholders that the majority of their machine learning work was quietly and invisibly improving their operational processes. And I think that's the way to go. These sort of big moonshots, curing cancer, and really doing very ambitious tasks have not been terribly successful so far. I suppose you could argue that fully autonomous driving would fall into that category too. We just have to kind of make slow progress toward those things. But you can do a lot of stuff now with, I don't know, extracting data. I was talking to a company recently that extracts medical healthcare data from faxes, which seems like about the most boring thing you can imagine, but it takes a huge amount of effort to have humans do that. So great, you know, let's get rid of that boring task. And it's more and more of these kind of low-hanging fruit things that we can identify that AI is really good for. Even in cleaning up our data and unifying data, you know, doing probabilistic matching of different records and databases that are really about the same customer or whatever. It's all boring stuff, but incredibly useful. And I think we'll see lots and lots of that before we're done. Absolutely. Well, we're definitely already seeing lots and lots of that. And we, we tell people all the time, there's nothing wrong with applying machine learning and other AI technologies to fund tasks that probably humans may not really be the best, uh, most suited to do those tasks. And it's perfectly fine. It's acceptable to be using that. You don't have to be building robots and you know self-driving vehicles to find value from, from AI. And also, that's why we also like the term augmented intelligence. I mean, we might define it a little bit differently, but I think we're still defining in a way that people find valuable. And that is that using this technology to help and make the enterprise and people more better at the things they do and helping the enterprise be better at delivering value to its customers and its suppliers and its partners and all those stakeholders. So I think that's very valuable advice. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We really appreciate your feedback and your insight and the value you're bringing to our audience. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, as well as a link to Tom's page, his website as well. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Fiverr.com. Fiverr is a marketplace for creative and digital freelance services. And in fact, I use Fiverr for quite a lot of the things that we do here at Cognolytica and AI Today, including the editing of this podcast, the generation of transcripts, and more. I definitely encourage you to take a look at using Fiverr for your creative and digital needs today. And I have a special offer for you today. Use the promo code AI Today for 15% off your first purchase on Fiverr.com. Offer valid until December 31st, 2018. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, 
please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright 2018 by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.